Hello and welcome to episode 21 of the Tata Cancer Podcast. If the podcast was a person, it would be able to drink. Uh, so I'm feeling so excited. Excuse that terrible joke. I'm feeling incredibly excited about today's episode. And I say this with the most sincerity, it may be the most important episode that I've done. And I truly believe that this episode and this book that we're about to discuss is something that every American woman, maybe every woman in the world should really read. And it is a book that is going to challenge a lot of what you may think that you know about breast cancer, about the medical industry, about what you need to eat to prevent cancer. And the great thing about this book is that it puts the power back into our hands. There are some mind-blowing statistics in this book that we discuss in the subsequent interview that were hard for me to read. And Susan has a lot of strong opinions, and I think it's super important to mention that keeping an open mind, especially about the realities that exist within our medical industry, within the cancer treatment industry, keyword being industry, it is a business. And Susan has done so much research. I have read a ton of books on breast cancer is sort of part of my job to stay up to date on the latest research, the latest hypotheses. And this book really blew my mind. So I tell a little story about how I came in contact with Susan, but I just have to say I was so moved by the work and felt so passionate about being able to spread this to more people. And I was so delighted to find out that Susan was on board with that. And I have interviewed a lot of authors on this podcast. And the thing is that authors, you know, they write a book, they put all their sweat, love, and tears into it. And not only are they trying to spread art or knowledge to the world, but they're trying to make a living doing something that they're passionate about. So I hope you'll support her in this book. But Susan was just incredibly generous about sharing a lot of the information that's within it. But uh, the the statistics and the research and the figures that she discusses in this book are very fascinating and very important that you know about. So please go get it. Um, yeah, let's see. What's what's new in my world? Still loving Portland. It's still incredibly hot here. I am very excited for sweater weather, pumpkin spice, everything, and uh, potentially some cuddles. I don't know. <laughs> I'm still single, but I'm dating, having a good time. And, uh, you know, life is great. I feel very passionate, very purposeful. I am going to be starting some beginner's meditation classes at the Rose City Sexual Health Collective. This is uh, what is this is August of 2022, so I don't know when you're listening to this. Um, and I'll also be doing some workshops regarding hormonal balance for libido stoking. And uh, if you are interested in that, I'll put some links in the show notes. Maybe we'll talk about it later. But that is my update. Let's talk to Susan and uh, we'll go from there. I can't wait for you to hear this episode. Hello and welcome to the Tata Cancer Podcast, where we will discuss the physical and mental elements of healing from a breast cancer diagnosis. My name is Junie Boucher. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and a breast cancer survivor. When you're diagnosed with breast cancer, you're forced to make life-changing decisions with so much information that's really hard to sift through. My intention is to help provide you with the information you need to make a decision that's going to align your body, mind, and heart so that you can live your best life going forward. I'm gonna be your new breast friend. 
Okay, let's do this. The information contained in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice. Please always consult with your doctor for any of your medical needs. I'm so excited to welcome Susan Wadia, L's PhD, to the podcast today. She is the author of Busting Breast Cancer, Five Simple Steps to Keep Breast Cancer Out of Your Body. And uh, yeah, so I was was reading Susan's book. I got incredibly excited about it. I really think every woman should read this book. And I wrote to her on her website and I, uh, when you called me that day, it was, it was really funny. I felt like I got more excited, uh, than if, you know, Elvis Presley had called me, (laughs) it was such a a pleasure to hear from you. And I called my mom afterwards. I said, mom, I just got so excited. Um, and so, yeah, I've been, I, that was a really fun, fun thing. And Susan has an incredible amount of powerful information and empowering information for you that might uh, not only make you feel more in control of your ability to prevent or um, slow breast cancer, but it's also maybe quite maddening, to be honest. I found myself you know, some of the information you have to share is, is, is really inflammatory in, in realizing the truth of the cancer treatment industry. So without further ado, uh, Susan, thank you so much for being here. Well, Junie, thank you for inviting <laughs> me. It's my pleasure. So tell us what led you to write the book? Cause you're, you have not had breast cancer. No, no, no. And that's what led me to write the book. Um, I don't want to get breast cancer <laughs> and, and too many of my friends did, uh, develop breast cancer and too many of them did die. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, thank heavens, many of them are still alive. But okay. um, I, I just got really angry. And I thought, why is why is there this epidemic happening? And it looks like it's getting worse and not better. And these are mm-hmm. women of all ages. And, um, and the, the treatments just seemed barbaric. And they didn't seem in the long run to work because many of them had early stage and they thought they were fine. And then within years, in one case, a decade or more, they developed or they realized they had been developing metastatic breast cancer. And of mm-hmm. course, metastatic is the only type of breast cancer that will kill a woman because our breasts are delightful, but they are not uh, a vital organ. And, um, uh, and, and so they having a large tumor in one's breast is not going to kill you. It's when cells from that tumor move into other vital, into, uh, into vital organs that mm-hmm. you then um, have problems. So. And you spent, was it 12 years researching this book? Well, my, some friends say, Susan, we think it was 14. I go, no, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> like, like, uh, yeah, I just started, I, yeah, I just got so mad um, when these women were, me and my close friends, comrades, whatever, were getting sick and then were dying. And I, and so I just, um, I'm a writer and I tend to, and I, my PhD is in autobiographical writing, women's mm. studies, autobiographical writing. And so whenever, and I've been a, a newspaper reporter, um, I've just written my whole life. And, and so I just, uh, uh, started writing for the local newspaper that they gave me a column called honest health. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it was wonderful. Um, so and it's really good if people are interested in writing, it's really good to get yourself a gig like that or to have a blog. Now, you know, back then we didn't really have internet blogs and it was pretty much the print newspaper. And uh, so it would be fun. I would, then when I went ahead to, to research things, I'd go birth control drugs and breast cancer. And 
my columns from a year or two earlier would be like the number one on wow. Google on the topic because nobody else was looking at this stuff. I'm oh. like, well, this is interesting. But all I could look at, Junie, initially were these statistical, or they call them epidemiological studies. So that, you know, if women eat a lot of peanut butter and it's organic, they won't get breast cancer. But for women who don't like peanut, I'm making this up, but yeah. people who don't like breast, you know, peanut butter, they get a lot of breast cancer. It's like, mm-hmm. but no, none of these studies until like 2013 could tell you why. Yes. Why? What is it with peanut butter? What is it with alcohol? What is it? What is it with? What is causing it? Not just do this, don't do this. Mm -hmm. And so I really got kind of bored um, and did a few other things in life around 2012, maybe. And then in 2013, I discovered Dr. Thomas Seifried's amazing, groundbreaking book, cancer as a metabolic disease. And as soon as I heard about this and then read whatever I could, which I I didn't understand a whole lot at that point, I emailed him and I said, you know, I'm working on this and I'm in love with this metabolic theory. It's It's merging with all of these statistical studies. Um, so all of a sudden, I understood why breast can why birth control drugs will oh, ratchet yes. up a woman's risk. You know why the menopausal, the combination menopausal drugs will ratchet up a woman's risk. Now I understood the bi- um, enough about the biology, and I've had one biology course. It was sophomore year in high school. I figured that was 1908. You know, so it's. <laughs> So anything I write about in this book, I had to find um, documented peer review studies to back up any statement I made because I wasn't going on any groundbreaking knowledge that I had Mm -hmm. developed myself or any intuition I was having. So it took a long time because I I wanted to do it really well. And, and I just, um, and so hundreds of people contributed to this book. I mean, I, I, I was basically a volunteer living off of, eventually it became my social security, but initially it was a rental income from an apartment that I've owned for years. And, and just living very simply, the whole book killed my credit rating. I mean, because <laughs> I'd have to pay for a website developer, or I'd mm-hmm. have to, you know, pay for a newsletter, you know, my constant contact or whatever. I mean, and I also had to somehow keep paying my mortgage, but, but, um, but so I did it as a volunteer, but it was a lot of people contributing to this to make it happen. Um, And it's delightful that it's now completed, you know, and it's helping women. Well, it's an incredible book. And that is one thing that I think is really important to note about your book is that it's the amount of research and backing, you know, that the notes, <laughs> when you read the book, you, you have so many pages of notes at the end of each chapter of citations and, and, um, you know, so many people, especially on social media claim that the metabolic theory of cancer has been debunked and that sugar doesn't fuel cancer. And it's just such a simplistic way of looking at things. And you really put it out there and say, no, this is the science. And you also mention the, the motivation behind the opposing opinion. And I think that's very interesting and important for people to know would you be, can you talk a little bit about I, I think some of these statistics about the market research studies and and the breast cancer industry and how America is the most profitable, uh, you know, how we feed into that profit machine? Well, for instance, birth control drugs don't even go to cancer, just stick with birth control drugs. Yeah. American women, um, our money. Uh, rep- we're 4%, 4.5% of the world's population, American women, let's say, because of the American population. Mm-hmm. But, but <laughs> women, American women's money um, represents 47% of all the income that comes from birth control pills, because they can charge American women whatever they want to, because we don't have a government 
we have enough, you know, they're, they're, the government is the same as the pharmaceutical companies or the same as mm -hmm. the oil companies. There's no representative government. You know, I finally stopped working in politics. I'm not even voting anymore. We don't have a government. Mm -hmm. We have a corporation that's running the show <laughs> for the population. And, um, and so it, it, it goes into breast cancer you know, and everything they refuse, the, the pharmaceutical companies control uh, much of the curriculum of medical schools. And they mm -hmm. don't educate doctors, they instruct doctors. Mm. You can talk to your oncologist, and I'm sure you have, and they will say, Junie, because your biopsy came back that you have XYZ, we're going to do PQR to you. Yep. Not Junie, because you're into keto and you're into you know fasting we believe that you should da 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 no they are instructed the commission on cancer controls what they are to do and what they are not to do um and so and it's driven so if the curriculum is controlled by the pharmaceutical companies and there's even a quote in here by the guy who was head is he still head of sloan kettering mm -hmm. and he said the, the, the pharmaceutical companies will not pay for any research on a diet, on the ketogenic diet. They're never going to do it. You can't make any money on a diet. You've got to mm -hmm. make money on new and expensive drugs. And mm -hmm. so that's, that's the situation. You know? Yeah. And I mean, you, I don't have the, the quote right in front of me, but I mean, the breast cancer treatment industry is, is a billion dollar profits in the billions of dollars multi-billion and they're expecting you know nine ten eleven percent increase in profits over the next five years you yeah. know and the mammograms are what drives it yeah if i can tell women one thing it's do not have a mammogram mm -hmm. and women say well well i can feel a, a, a bump a tumor i need to know what it is i go fine they have things that are now because doctors, the medical profession will not allow a woman, you know, this yeah. to have an ultrasound before they smash your breasts. Mm -hmm. You cannot have an ultrasound, even though you can feel it. You want to know, is this a cyst? Mm -hmm. Is this a cancerous tumor? Mm -hmm. The sonogram is going to show you that. Mm -hmm. But they will not allow a woman to have an ultrasound until they've smashed her breasts. What's that about? That's about the fact the mammogram, even though it's barbaric, even though it is useless with dense breasts, it can detect stage zero, which they now call, you know, with it, they call it stage mm -hmm. zero breast cancer. They used to call it atypical cells. It's not cancer. Then they called it ductal carcinoma in situ. It's not cancer. Mm -hmm. It's atypical cells. And the, the studies will show you 10% of women who today are being diagnosed with DCIS will develop, develop breast cancer in 10 years if they change nothing about their lives. Only if they 10%. stay morbidly wow. obese, if they stay chronically fatigued, if they stay chronically um, uh, hyperactive, if they, you know, if they change nothing, well, probably 20% will die of a of a heart attack in 10 years. So mm -hmm. that's, it means that if you have DCIS, you do not have cancer. Mm. Yeah. But yet they say, Emmy Lou, we found it early. You're so lucky. Let us first stick it with a needle. What do you stick in the flesh of no tumor? You know, mm -hmm. and, and then they, they treat them as if they have malignant death-defying tumors, and they don't. Mm -hmm. But the women are so happy they found it early, mm -hmm. right? Yes, yes, And absolutely. it's all to get money out of them. And, you know, and you do note this in the book, and I think it's important to mention as well that, you know, it's not that these doctors don't think that they're acting in the best interest of the patients. You know, you, you, you don't hate doctors, but it's just the, what they've been taught and what they are legally bound to do. That's because right. if, if they don't, if they don't prescribe that standard of care, they can lose their license. Is that right? Oh, they will. 
Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and also the hospital will kick them out. You know, most countries will not allow premenopausal women to go near a mammogram. They understand that the radiation on fragile premenopausal breast tissue is nasty. Here, if you're adopted, they say, oh, Jenny Lou, we don't have your medical history. You need to have a mammogram every year beginning at 30. And guess wow. what? If we did an epidemiological study, adopted women get breast cancer. I know this has got to be true. I've, I've run into too many of them at a much higher rate than unadopted women because they're pounding them with mammograms. Wow. So it isn't just, but the, so that's the radiation, you know, mm -hmm. but, but, but the real driving force for the mammograms is it identifies the DCIS and the dormant, tiny, tiny, slow growing, no growing tumors that they then tell you, oh, you know, we've got to treat them. And then you end up too often with that metastatic. Mm -hmm disease, which then you're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars, people end up, families are bankrupt. Mm -hmm. When the women die, they're bankrupt. Mm -hmm. So, so with that being said, because that is one of your, um, these five steps that you recommend that women follow to prevent breast cancer from entering their body. So or being able to take over. Can you, can you touch on that? Like, so starting oh, with sure. the, the mammograms and, and you have alternate, you offer alternatives, uh, the sonogram, uh, ultrasound, breast MRI, self-exam and the oh. clinical self-exam. Am I missing? Right, right, right. And one thing about that, we, I almost mentioned this a minute ago about mm -hmm. the, if, if you do find that you have some kind of a lump and you really want to know, mm -hmm. is this a hard cancerous tumor or is this a watery cyst? And you can't get a prescription, you know, you can't get an order from your doctor for that ultrasound unless you have the mammogram and you're not going to have the mammogram. They have what they call um, uh, concierge ultrasound clinics. Oh, really? Exactly. And, and I've done a little research. I talked to some guy in California and somebody else in, in the Boston area, and it's like 300 bucks. So oh. your insurance won't pay for it because your doctor's not ordering it. Mm -hmm. But you can take yourself to one of these concierge ultrasound clinics, huh. and they will do an ultrasound and give you a report, a medical report that's read by certified radiologists. So you can protect yourself from the barbaricness of, of the mammogram and go straight and get that ultrasound. And I hadn't realized that when I wrote the book or I had to put that in there. Oh, that's good to know because, you know, when I, a lot of the monitoring that I've had, my copay has been really expensive. I've only had one breast MRI. I know you do, you do recommend breast MRIs if you have a history of breast cancer, right? Well, that's what, what, um, Nisha, Nisha. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I leaned heavily on Nisha, you know, uh -huh. for that information, because she has the experience that I certainly don't. And, mm -hmm. and that's what I think she's telling, or she tells a number of her clients mm -hmm. who have had breast cancer treatment. Mm -hmm. um, but they also have the Sonosin, which is, you know, it's an ultrasound in which they're taking like tons and tons of the, the pictures. There's no radiation involved. So you really get a much more complete look at the breast from an ultrasound perspective. But mm -hmm. again, um, you know, they're hard to find, they can be quite expensive. And again, the doctors won't give you orders for them if they even know about them until they make you have a barbaric mammogram yeah. because they're under, they're being told what to do. It's not like they're nasty people. Yeah. If they want to stay at their hospital, they want to mm -hmm. stay in their practice. They want to keep their insurance. They've got to do what the commission on cancer tells them to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, what was I going to say, uh, in a thermogram, is it thermography? You, thermography. That's another, yeah. 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 And, and so thermography is, you know, it's not, it, a lot of people are, you know, dissatisfied with thermography because they'll say, well, the thermogram didn't show anything, but the mammogram <clears throat> 
showed I have a tumor. Well, usually my understanding is with, with thermography, it's heat based. Mm -hmm. And if you have a rapidly growing tumor, it's putting out heat, mm -hmm. you know, it's heat, it's, it's hot, it's moving, it's growing. All right. So that, that tumor is uh, that rapidly growing tumor is going to be much warmer mm. than the rest of your body. So if you have a rapidly growing tumor, thermography will show it. If you have ah. a dormant tumor, it's been sitting there for 20 years, it might sit there for the next 50. It's, it's not hot. Mm -hmm. It's, it's sort of, it's dormant. It's, it's sleeping. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, you know, it's not done it. And so, so it won't show that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, but it will show a woman that she's got a fast growing tumor if in fact she does, you know, so. And that kind of brings up another aha moment that I had while reading the book uh, that you, you mentioned how, you know, in your opinion, a lot of women are overtreated. So obviously with the DCIS stage zero, um, who if only 10% would go on to develop breast cancer, yet they're getting treated as though they have an invasive breast cancer. But also the women who are at stage one with a slow growing tumor, which is a category that I fall into. So you, you mentioned, and, and yeah, I thought that was a really powerful statement. Um, it made me reflect <laughs> on what I went through, the money I spent, Right. The fact that I, you know, had a, my breast amputated, how that's affected right. my life right. and um, how, you know, how it's possible that the multiple biopsies that they had to do and, um, you know, the subsequent increased mammograms that I have had to monitor me are potentially fueling into a recurrence. Right. Because remember what kicks off that first cancer cell, and it's not just breast cancer, it's prostate cancer, it's liver cancer, it's lung cancer, is inflammation, mm -hmm. is, is, is the poor mitochondria, the power batteries. You see, they don't teach this in medical school. Mm -hmm. What they teach in medical school is, Janie, we don't really know, but for some reason, one of the um, genes, you know, one, one of the nuclei in your cancer, in your, in your breast cell, um, it, it clicked, it, you know, it, and, and it, it became, you know, cancerous and, and, it, and the oncogene is now, you know, making it duplicate uncontrollably and it's giving, and we don't really know. I mean, women have told me, and you can agree or disagree on this because mm -hmm. I have not been there. When they say to a doctor, why me? Why did I get breast cancer? They say, <laughs> Janie, maybe it was just your turn. Or Sarah Lou, I'm really sorry. I guess you were the unlucky one. That's yes. what they tell them. Yeah, that that's that was that hit me hard too because that is every woman I think goes through that. Um, what did I do? How did this happen? And for the most part, it is we'll just never know. Uh, and most people that I talk to who have not had cancer, who have not done any research <laughs> or a lot of research like myself, they believe that the, what is generally accepted in the medical world or the Western medical world, that this is a genetic thing. And whenever I talk to friends, they say, well, you know, we don't really have any breast cancer in our family. And I always tell them that's not, that doesn't matter. Every family has breast cancer. Every family has cancer, number one. But mm -hmm. number two, you're absolutely right. I mean, what I, I really love chapter, is it chapter eight, in mm -hmm. which I'm talking about the BRCA, the mutated yes. BRCA gene, yes. and that there is a study between North American women and Polish women. Yeah. This was mind boggling. Right. Yeah. And the North American women mean Canadian and U.S. women, something like 72. I'm going to get the numbers a little bit off, but 72 percent of North American women who have been uh, tested and have a, a mutated, a broken BRCA night watchman gene, I call it. Right. Mm -hmm. They'll develop breast cancer before they're 70 years old. Mm -hmm. In Poland, it's like 42% or 49% of women mm -hmm. 49%. who have the yeah. BRCA2 mutation develop breast cancer. And meanwhile, in the US, it's like 
when you're over 60 or something, it's like 400 women per 100,000 develop breast cancer. In Poland, yeah, I don't know what the numbers are for over 60, but for everybody, it's like 49 or, you know, out of 100,000 here, it, it, it's like, what is it, 70? Well, it changes by age, but it's anywhere from 72 to 400. Or, I mean, it's just, so it's, this is the most dangerous, the US yeah. is the most dangerous country for any woman of any age to live in if she wants to avoid breast cancer. Yeah. Better to go into Poland, BRCA1 or not mutated, you're safer. And yeah. then the question is why? And that's when I had fun. At that point, you know, nobody has done the studies. <laughs> oh, I just, I just used everything I knew about. And it turned out their vitamin D3 levels are higher. They won't use SPSF high sunscreen. They understand that D3 is useful. Also, they like good tans, as I do. Mm-hmm. And because it keeps your D3, in my case, it keeps my D3 above 60, which is hard to do when you're above 60. Yeah. You know, whereas the CDC, back to them, they will they will never admit, maybe I don't even think they're doing it yet, that there's any connection between a high D3 blood level and breast cancer prevention. They won't tell you that. Yeah, that's one of your steps. So keeping the vitamin D levels above 60. And I think it's really interesting, again, going back to the profits, because if if we were to acknowledge and you, you cite the statistics of how much having that high D3 level year round can prevent the, the development of breast cancer, but yet D3 supplements are extremely cheap. So as opposed to feeding into this billion, multi-billion dollar treatment industry, the, you know, that's, there's another, a lot of, I'm reading another book. Um, I think it's called a the a world without cancer, uh, about, um, the vitamin B therapy. I'm not getting that all right, but anyway, some of these nutritional therapies, which that's my realm of preventing these things and, and vitamin D, if you can talk a little bit more about that, it's considered a hormone. It acts as a hormone, correct? It actually is a hormone. Apparently it's a misnomer to call it a vitamin. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, and, and of course it, it's not just effective against cancer. What it yeah. does, as I describe in, in the book, is it really serves as how powerful is your internal Wi-Fi? Mm-hmm. And your D3 is your internal Wi-Fi. And if one of your cells, let's say in your breast, starts to suffocate and it's going to have the option of turning into a cancer cell or self-destructing, you want it to self-destruct and go away. So your the the cell will be calling out the mitochondria will be calling out, and if your Wi-Fi system, your internal Wi-Fi is strong enough because your D three is strong enough, then it'll bring in you know all of your powerful immune cells to, to basically knock out the 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 can the precancerous cell that's trying to form, mm-hmm. you know. But if you don't have high D three in your blood you don't have any communication going between your immune cells and your struggling healthy. So now they're no longer healthy, but your precancerous cells that are about to, you know, morph into cancer, they're about to, the mitochondria is about to suffocate. So D3 is so important. And they say women who are going through breast cancer treatment should keep D3 levels at about 80 because wow. you, you know you you you've got an active situation going and you want your immune system to be really out there with all of its you know power mm-hmm. uh helping you knock out your cancer cells but they're saying 60 for breast cancer maybe 40 for prostate cancer and it turns out that breast can some breast cancer tumors are the fastest growing cancer tumors known to women or men. Wow. Um, yeah. And I think that really goes probably with premenopausal HER2 breast cancer and premenopausal triple negative. Mm-hmm. In those situations, women will tell you, I had a mammogram on Tuesday and the next Tuesday there was a growing tumor and the mammogram never showed it. Mm-hmm. Um, so they that's where you... Oh, there's another study, and I can't find the citation for this, but uh, Dr. 
um, Cedric Garland out at University of California, San Diego, said in some talk a couple of years ago, there has never been a woman diagnosed with breast cancer yes. who has a D3 blood level below 60. Yeah. I mean, above, above, 60, above 60. I so thought you said it was 60. like, I think it was like above 20 or something. It was, no, it was, no, a, no, no, no. okay, no, okay. No, so, no, above, so above 60, above which is 60. why okay. they say prevention and we should do the five simple steps yes, to prevent yes. breast cancer because that's yes. really the purpose of the book here. And the first and easiest is the D3 yeah. and you get D3 two ways you, and you, you can't over, <laughs> you can't overdose on D3. That's number one. You cannot overdose on D3, but your body has a natural shutoff. Once it gets, I don't know, 10,000 IUs a day or whatever it is, it, it, it shuts down. It won't accept anymore, you know, but, okay. but you, you get it through supplements um, and you get it through sunshine or you get it from UVB rays and you mm -hmm. only get UVB rays from natural sunshine or from uh, tanning Booths, mm -hmm. or the dermatologists have their photo, mm -hmm. you know, whatever they call them, machines that will also give that to you. And they use those those tanning machines, the, the dermatologists, for lots of different problems from, you know, various skin conditions and stuff like that. Um, and they don't want people using tanning booths because it's cheaper than going to them. You know, that's but, one of the re I've decided no one's ever said that, but that's one of my beliefs, you know, uh, of why dermatologists are so big on stay away from the sun and um, and use, you know, sunblock. I mean, who knows what the money is? I mean, they probably. I don't know. You know, I've, I've not traced the money trail between dermatologists and the suntan lotion, you know, the, the sunblock mm -hmm. people. I don't know. But there's a beautiful. Let's do the five simple steps first. OK, we get caught up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So tell so tell us about the five steps. Sure. So the first one, as we just said, is the vitamin D3, which is the easiest um, mm -hmm. to do. Uh, and therefore, women should have D3 uh, tests twice a year, once in the summertime, once in the wintertime, because your D3 can go way down in the winter if you're mm -hmm. not doing indoor tanning to keep it up there. Um, so oh, that's can I ask you a question about sure. that? Because, yeah, I was shocked when you said about the indoor tanning, because um, it's funny, I, you know, when I was in my 20s and my 20s, I used to get indoor tans. Um, just because I like the way it looked. And I remember being like, oh, this is probably going to give me cancer one day because they fuel that idea that, you know, tanning is is going to cause skin cancer and yada, yada. Um, but I always remembered I felt better when I was tan. And I truly believe now that it was the increased vitamin D that was kind of stabilizing my mood because I noticed I would get kind of a little bit of that seasonal affective disorder, um, in the winter, even though I lived in California. So, so in your opinion, it is, how do you safely use a tanning booth? I live in Portland, Oregon now, and I'm a little bit nervous about the winter. I do supplement with vitamin D3 and I walk outside every day without sunblock, but, um, I'm just curious, like how, like, how do you safely use a tanning booth? Well, you don't want to burn. You don't want to burn yeah. yourself with oil, hot oil, with fire or with the sun. Mm -hmm. You don't want to burn. Burning skin is not a good thing. Mm -hmm. So you don't put hot oil on you. You don't put, you don't walk through a fire and you don't burn <laughs> when you go into a tanning booth. Okay. And so there are a number, there's a network, a safe tan, I think it's called, and they train, um, you know, they, they have training sessions for the staff, et cetera. And, and the tanning group I use, the, the uh, tanning salon, if you come in two days in a row, they make you sign something saying, you know, I understand that what I'm doing is not very safe for me because I'm tanning two days in a row. I mean, they have a lot of rules. Oh, interesting. And, you know, and, and when you start out and if you walk in and you're the Scandinavian and you, <laughs> they basically will tell you to go away. Mm -hmm. Just go away. We do not recommend if you want to use these tanning booths, you got to sign this. Mm -hmm. Your my skin thing is is not appropriate for tanning booths. So if anything happens to me, the tanning salon is not responsible. Mm -hmm. So um, and I'm not sure about 18 kids, 18 
uh, uh, people under 18, if they, I think they have to have parental permission. I've never really seen Probably. someone that young in the tanning salon that I go to, but um, yeah. And the, yeah, so the, the issue is do not burn. So, so just <laughs> a short, short duration. And do you use any lotion when you go in? There? Yeah, no, you want, well, it's sort of like, you want to put butter in the pan when you do this scrambled eggs. <laughs> yeah. <you know>? Yeah. <laughs> right. 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 So, so, but you know, coconut oil can be uh -huh. good. And, you know, they have a lot of different tanning. Um, the one I'm using now has um, uh, uh, not TLC, but what's the other THC. one? No. THC. Not THC, but what's the CBD? Oh, CBD. So oh, yeah. So there are, you know, lots of wonderful. You want to keep your skin as you know soft and protected as as possible, but you want to, you know, get like that a non-toxic. They have non-toxic lotions. Yeah. OK, yeah. awesome. Yeah. OK, yeah. so yeah. so there you go. So, vitamin, so D3. vitamin D3 is the first mm -hmm. one. Another one that's really easy is you avoid the progestin drugs. You avoid mm -hmm. birth control drugs. You avoid IUDs that contain progestin. There in the U.S., there's one, only one, one size yeah. fits all and not very, very well IUD without any nasty chemicals in it. And the mm -hmm. FDA in cahoots yeah, with the pharmaceutical companies, and I go through this, made sure that women, American women are not allowed to have different sizes, different brands, different shapes of non-hormonal IUDs. That's not allowed because if they did, they wouldn't buy the, the progestin-based, nasty, dangerous birth control drugs. Mm -hmm. That one is an anathema to me. I mean, there are yes. a lot of anathemas here, but that one is really bad. It happened yeah. in 1999. No one's given a reason. Um, you know, it, and, and it's an executive decision. It's not a legislative thing. So if women want to have a really beautiful fitting IUD, they need to go to Mexico, take a European vacation, do something and go any other place. And for 10 bucks and maybe 30 bucks insertion, you will have an IUD that really fits you and is not as hormone free, but don't bring it back here to have your own doctor insert it. You're not, they're not allowed to because yeah. that IUD is considered to be a pharmaceutical drug. That's what they did in 1999. They made it from a medical device that I had that IUD for 10 years, I think in mm -hmm. the seventies, it mm -hmm. was, it was no big deal. But as soon as they made the FDA said, it's no longer a medical device. We've decided that that IUD has got some copper in it. Mm -hmm. So therefore, it's a drug. So it blocked any new IUDs coming on the market because now you have to do a 12-year double-blind placebo-controlled study for a little medical device that's worth 50 cents. So Which, yeah, you said it's under five dollars to manufacture, but they cents. charge you fifty cents. Oh wow, and they oh, charge you eight hundred dollars so. for it. Yeah, something yeah, crazy yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I spent a whole summer researching that chapter. I the onion. I kept on. I kept peeling or unpeeling whatever you do with the onion. It was mm -hmm. amazing, amazing. And now we have wow. a study, and I quote it, chapter and verse in that exactly how the progestin chemical the mm -hmm. it's not progesterone it's a chemical chemical that they call progestin and it's in every birth control drug and it's in most of the iud's now that are progestin exactly how that suffocates the mitochondria that kicks off the cancer and it doesn't just kick off the cancer it accelerates any cancer you might have going on mm -hmm. and um and of course then there's the combination menopausal pill that has the progestin in it as well. Not as much, much less than, but that we had the National Women's Health Initiative and the results, they were, they, they stopped that study, part of it in 2000, 2000, I think it was 2000, 2001, because it showed within two years, women who were taking that progestin menopausal pill, there had an increase, 26% increase in palpable tumors. Wow. If you were on that that drug and and they the the company making it at that point i'm not sure if it was wyeth i think it's in the book they they ha more than half of the women who were taking that pill prempro stopped they stopped filling their prescriptions in a month 
you give American women good information, probably French women too, British women, Ghanaian women, you give us good information, we take heed. We say, I'm not going to take that anymore. But the prophets of Wyeth went through the, they went to the cellar and -hmm. they apparently never recovered. Wow. They finally sold the drug to somebody else. And now they're pushing it again on women. So, so progestin lace drugs are bad. That that seems very clear. What do you, do you have an opinion on bioidentical hormone therapy? My opinion, and I need, I really want to do some podcasts and talk to like David Zava, who's a real expert on this and a lot of experts on that. But my understanding is it's balance. We mm-hmm. all need yeah. estrogen and we all need progesterone and we need them balanced. And when we're mm-hmm. younger, we need more than when we're older. Mm-hmm. But if we're 24 and we're 300 pounds, we're going to have, and we're eating processed food and, and commercial meats, which are filled with estrogens. We're going to have estrogen up here and we're going to have progestin here. Mm-hmm. And when you have an excess of either, mm-hmm. it attacks the mitochondria, it suffocates, it's acidic to the mitochondria, and it attacks it and it develops breast cancer. Yeah. So if you're overweight, 30% higher risk of developing breast cancer than if you're healthy weight. Yeah. It's, and, and it has to do with hormone balancing and that extra fat is giving you much more extra estrogen. So I think the issue is the balancing. So yes, I mm-hmm. think that bioidentical, I don't think people have to go to compounding pharmacists. I think, you know, Smoky Mountain Naturals and whatever, if, if you get the study and shows you that, you know, you're low in progestin, but you're higher in estrogen, which is usually going to be the case mm-hmm. that to take, and I guess the cream is a much um, more direct way of getting the progesterone into your body, that a a plant-based progesterone is going to be, you know, a really wonderful thing and and it keeps you healthy. So I think that's the. Yeah, it's, it's a very, you know, the, like the yam creams and stuff. There's so many conflicting opinions on that because one of the focuses in my practice is regarding estrogen dominance, which, you know, because almost any woman I know that has, um, hormonally driven breast cancer, her situation is estrogen dominance. And what I think people don't realize is that it doesn't necessarily mean you have low progesterone. It just means that your estrogen is out of balance. So yeah, it's all about, it always comes back to balancing hormones, um, whether it's stress hormones, uh, sex hormones or whatnot. So, okay. So we've got, we've got, got let's go to the next one. (laughs) Well, right. And well, the, the first one is the lose your excess fat. We've sort of been yeah. talking about that like crazy. Yeah. And, you know, and I think for lots of reasons that the ketogenic, if you're talking about breast cancer prevention, the ketogenic diet is the way to go, at least initially. Nobody wants to stay on the ketogenic diet for too long. I mean, it's just hard to do. Um, uh, and and you don't need to. You, as Dr. Seifert says, get into ketosis, you know, for a couple of weeks, maybe once a year or twice a year. And if you have any active cancer cells, that's going to knock them out pretty much. Um, And so that's a beautiful preventive kind of thing. Also, as you were saying earlier, Junie, when you are in ketosis, when, when you do have a very low glucose, your, your, your brain, your, your brain cells love those ketones. That's Mm -hmm. why you get smarter. It seems like you get Mm -hmm. smarter when you're doing, you know, keto, keto, uh, keto diets is because your brain cells are flying high on high octane ketones. Mm-hmm. You know, you, any cancer cells in any part of your body are like desperately screaming because mm-hmm. they cannot ingest ketones and do anything. They only want glu- they only want glucose and then some of them want um, some level of, of glutamine. Um, but anyway, so, so the, lose the excess fat and, and, you know, 
however you can do it, do it. Um, the, avoid the progestin drugs, get your D3 up there, um, have an annual thermo thermography, do weekly self-exams, breast massages with your partner, yourself, you know, enjoy life. Um, be, just know your breasts better than, than anyone. And, um, and, you know, as we said, if you have an early stage tumor and it's really tiny, just watch and wait. You know, mm. it, nothing's going to happen overnight. It, it, it took a while for that suffocation to happen. And just, you know, and if it's going to grow, you're going to know it. Mm -hmm. uh, you've already felt it. And um, there was one oncologist, no, she's a breast surgeon. She's retired now. She used to work with Christiane Northrup. Anyway, she, um, Susan Love? She, huh? No, 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 no. Susan Love. I mean, I, Susan Love <laughs> has now had her own about with um, uh, blood cancer with, um, oh. and she says now that I've, and she had, you know, the real drastic treatment in which they, they, they basically take all your, they get you this close to death and then bring you back. It's a blood transfusion wow. kind of stuff that, mm -hmm. you know, horrible. She said, now that I've gone through the treatment for cancer, I understand even more how important prevention is. Mm. However, her million woman Avon funded thing doesn't do much prevention mm. because she can't get money for prevention studies. Oh, wow. Wow. The money is what drives it. That's why it took me 14 years to do this book. There's no money from breast cancer groups, from pharmaceutical groups, from hospital groups. If you're not talking about cancer as a genetic disease and we don't know how it starts, but we're going to treat you. Mm, yeah. Okay. There's no money. There's no money. So she may have good ideas, but I have not seen good prevention studies coming from that at all. In mm -hmm. fact, I think the group is sort of I could be wrong, dissipated, because I thought I was a member and I don't get any information <laughs> from the million woman study or something. I don't know. Okay. Anyway, anyway. Okay. So we have five. So the blood and then cleanse. It's you say mm -hmm. you meditate twice a day. Mm -hmm. Breast cancer more than any cancers apparently is driven by stress. Mm. So that women will often say, I got my first, I was diagnosed with breast cancer two years after my first divorce, and I was diagnosed <laughs> with breast cancer two years after my second divorce. Mm -hmm. um, so the stress, yeah. the stress, and for some reason, stress and breast cancer don't like each other, you mm -hmm. know, the, um, and so any you have to figure out a daily way that makes sense for you. Is it walking in the water? You know, is it doing yoga on the beach? Is it meditating twice a day? Is it walking your dog seven miles? Whatever it is that can de-stress you. And then the food you eat. So it's, it's daily cleansing of your body. Mm -hmm. daily cleansing, prebiotics, mm -hmm. probiotics. I mean, that water, that's just, mm -hmm. sweating. Yeah, exactly. That's right. The high sweat. And that's why they have these new, they're kind of inexpensive too, maybe a few hundred bucks and stuff where you can sit in the, the um, their saunas, but they're heating you from within. Mm -hmm. And so if you are unable to do high stress or high intensity, um, high, high, intensity. Know, high, 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 um, yeah, high intensity stuff, jogging or working on whatever, you can go into these saunas and they will help you sweat to sweat out what you need to sweat out, mm -hmm. um, the, the toxins, if you can't do it by jogging five miles, you know. So those are the five, lose the excess fat, avoid the progestin drugs, have your annual thermogram, weekly self-exams, ultrasound, whoever you need to, clinical exams. American Cancer Society is now saying we don't recommend clinical exams. Yeah, clinical that is breast crazy. Exams. crazy. Because they are run by the radiology. General Electric probably gives them more money than anybody else. They want women to depend on the sacredness of mammograms. Yeah. Yeah. Because that drives the breast cancer epidemic that is in this country in and in much greater situations than in other countries. Not that other countries don't have it, but we push it. We really push it. Yeah. Um, 
and the D3. So it, it, they're not technical ways to prevent it. Mm-hmm. They're just sensible, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And and I do want to note, we, we talked about this prior to the, the recording of the interview. You know, I asked Susan, I said, what about alcohol? You, you know, you don't talk about that much. And I thought it was really powerful that you, you mentioned, you know, in your research, you found that basically women, women just don't comply with that recommendation. And, and I've, I've witnessed that, that how, <laughs> no, I, I've witnessed how, yeah. uh, how touchy, touchy that is, you know, I mean, that's a whole nother can of worms about how the alcohol industry targets women these days and the, the wine o'clock and, you know, mommy juice kind of stuff. Um, and how, I mean, honestly, I do drink it, it, but I have, I have changed the way I drink a lot, but it's not necessarily that alcohol is fueling it. It's that it's the detoxification and the congestion of the liver and how important it is. So again, with the detox of that, the detoxification that you recommend kind of covers that, um, and how important it is. If you do drink that you're balancing your and, and creating ways for you to reopen those detoxification pathways, you know? So, um, I just, I I've been kind of feeling passionately about the need to talk about the role of alcohol, but, uh, yeah, almost every woman that I, I'd mention, you know, including myself, you know, don't drink it, 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 there's a resistance. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that really speaks to the stress levels that most women are under these days. I feel lucky that my life is, it does not have a lot of stress, but that's because I worked extremely hard to create that situation. Right. Um, right, so yeah, I mean, are there any, I, I don't, thank you so much. I think that's so incredibly helpful. Um, what, you know, before we sort of wrap up here, do you have any, any last things that you don't think we covered that you, you wanted to discuss? Well, I think people ought to know when they look at this book mm-hmm. um and i should here's the book we're talking about right? <laughs> <laughs> well you see. yeah you can't see it you can't i know oh, that's this right, recording, right? Said, oh, oh, where is, where is, where is zooming but, but we get right, right right yeah but i'm going to be linking to the book um right. and she and susan gave me a whole bunch of options i think that you can even get a signed copy um, if you yes. order from a particular, yeah, that's great. Yeah. You can get a sign. Um, women or anybody can go to my website and then, uh, buy a, a copy of the book or multiple copies and I'll ship them out and they're signed mm-hmm. and that there it's, um, full color. The charts and graphs oh, are neat. in full color. Whereas if you have one that came from Amazon or yeah. Barnes and Noble, whatever, those are print on demand and they're black and white. They're perfectly lovely. I have a wonder the, the woman who designed the book, um, Tessa Magnuson, um, line graphic design. I mean, I can't recommend her more. She mm-hmm. did an incredibly beautiful job of designing the book, laying it out and doing all the charts and graphs. Uh, but yes, yeah, so you can get on my website from Amazon. Um, it's an ebook form on Kobo and Kindle and all, all of the uh, ebook platforms. And then um, independent bookstores uh, can order this through their one of their biggest distributors, which is Ingram Spark Book Distributors. So it's available worldwide um, That's in whatever great. form you want. And I'll also send um, thermography clinics and, and uh, other practitioners can order, you know, eight or more books from me and I'll give them a really good discount because then they're selling them to their clients. So that's, you know, that's what we would love to see more of or, or, or professors, course professors in high school and in college, graduate school, if they want to offer this to their students, I will ship out, you know, 20, 30 books, signed copies, and I'll give the, the professor the discount. Kind of and, and I think it's important to note that you know, with this book, um, compared to, you know, Thomas, is it Seyfried or Seyfried? Seyfried. Okay. Thomas Seyfried. So Thomas Seyfried is, is a book that Susan refers to a lot and, and was clearly one of the main inspirations for her, her work. You know, it's very dense. And I think if you're not some kind of a practitioner or his, that work can be a little bit harder to access for just the everyday person, but your book, is very readable for somebody who doesn't have 
a background in, as a practitioner, as anybody, you know, anybody can read this book and, and understand. And she also has, you know, so many citations if you do want to go and read some of the more technical stuff. But I think you, you're very eloquent in your delivery of this information and make it extremely accessible to anybody that really wants to understand what's going on. Right. And I would also add, Junie, there's a book that I could not have done my book having read Tom Seifert's book, which is a college, as you've mentioned, it's a college mm -hmm. biology textbook. Mm -hmm. It is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't read it. And I'm kind of like, I don't, I don't know if well, I want to read and, it. And I don't think, but, but a book that people should read is uh, Travis Christopherson's yep. Tripping Over the Truth. I have that one. I, I studied that book. I, mm -hmm. uh, my, yeah. My yes, my copy of Travis's book is so dog-eared. It is marked up. He translates, or for mm -hmm. me, he translated for me so much of what Tom Seifried had done. Mm -hmm. He also goes back and looks at the history that Tom Seifried, you know, had to wade through mm -hmm. um, to come up with his brilliant treatise that he's got. Um, but uh, but. Travis's book should not be ignored. And um, if people enjoy mine and they want to go back further, then they should grab Travis's. Okay. I'll link to that book as well. Cause I have, that book is part of the curriculum of a holistic cancer course I'm doing right now. Um, and I'm actually going to mention to the, the creator of the course that I think your book should be part of the curriculum over as well. Um, I don't need, I don't even know if it's on her radar, but um yeah, well, I'll link to that too. So, and, and where can, so beyond, I'm going to have all this in the show notes and where can people find you? Are you on social media right now? Right now I have the website. Okay. Bustingbreastcancer.com. Right, okay. Exactly. So that's the place. And all of the different videos and podcasts that I do mm -hmm. are usually on there okay. so that this podcast will end up on there once you publish mm -hmm. it kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, I would, I'd like to get into Twitter and, you know, Facebook. I just have not yeah. done that at this point, um, but I need to. I've sort of taken a sabbatical for the last year, it feels like, because what I'm trying to study now is it's the exponential increase in breast cancer. And we should yeah. probably, you know, at some point talk about this once I've done more of the research, but the data is just coming out now. And what they're mm -hmm. seeing is that the spike protein is causing the mitochondria. It, it's scraping at the mitochondria. Mm -hmm. So women who are having recurrences of breast cancer like crazy and new incidents of breast cancer. And of course, that's probably stress, too. Mm -hmm. If we talked about stress <laughs> and breast cancer going together, well, this whole, you know, COVID thing has caused amazing stress on everybody mm -hmm. for lots of different reasons. Mm -hmm. And so no wonder cancer rates are going up. Yeah. But the recurrence is going up, too. And it's... Um, so it's like, I, I can't ignore that. And the question is, how do I describe that? So yeah. I've just been quiet, you know, <laughs> let people find my book. I, it's out there. People can read it. And it's, it's, it's obviously, as we know, worth reading. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but I'm not sure how to continue given this new age we're in where breast cancer is increasing so exponentially because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Well, I, I, Again, just thank you so much for, for this work. This, I mean, clearly a labor of love, <laughs> um, but also a powerful revolution, I think. And um, I love how at the end of the book, you kind of warn people, you, you know, I, I'm not, I'm going to, I'm not going to spoil everything in the book. You've been so generous with your information, but you know, th these are, these do go against a lot of the conventional ideas, but if you read Susan's book, you will really feel much more knowledgeable and empowered to make your own decisions. And I've always tried, that is the, the, the mission behind my podcast is just get information to people, make your own decisions, but do it informed and, um, and acknowledge that, you know, profits do dictate 
a lot of what you're going to hear from the conventional medical uh, industry. So, so educate yourself about all the options out there and then allow your intuition, your knowledge and, um, to, to find your path. So Susan, I think that's a, probably a good spot to start. I feel like I could talk to you forever, but, um, but thank you so, so much. Well, Junie, thank you. And I, I think what I also say at the end of the book is that the only way that women or the only way that we can end this unnecessary breast cancer epidemic is one woman at a time. No mm -hmm. one else has the self-interest in mm -hmm. stopping the epidemic other than women and those who love us. So yeah. if we cannot protect ourselves one woman at a time, the industry will continue to mow us down. Yeah, yeah. It's true. Um, all right. Well, we will end on that note. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and this is a good news book. Yes. This tells us how to prevent. Okay. It's a yeah. good news book. This is the one breast cancer book. That's a good news book. You know what? Yes. That thank you so much for bringing that up because a lot of the information feels very ominous yet you are offering the solution. And, and that is, so empowering. And, um, and like you say, they're simple steps. They, they may take an, an incredible shift in thinking, but at the end of the day, they are incredible, uh, incredibly simple and affordable ways to avoid this terrible disease. Right. And I'm going to be adding these that we now have more and more case studies coming out of, of individuals, women with, with metastatic breast cancer, men with uh, glioblastoma, brain cancers, who are using metabolic therapies only. And they are more than surviving. They are thriving. Yeah. And, and Nasha Winters is filled with those kind of case studies as well. So the yes. metabolic really works. And, and, um, and so the, it's a good news book. Good yeah, news you, book. you can come out of cancer with, if you use some of these therapies and have better health than you've ever had, which is where I feel like I am today and what I want for other women, it, it is, it's incredible. So, all right, well, I'm going to stop the recording. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. My goodness. I could talk to Susan forever. I, I, uh, I did not include the 30 to 40 minutes prior to the actual interview that she just let me pick her brain. So again, thank you so much for being such a generous contributor to uh, this, this community and to this podcast and to the literary world and women's health, Susan Wadia Els. Uh, so otherwise, you know, tune in in a couple weeks. I'll be back with another episode for you guys. Also sign up for my newsletter at juniebewell.com if you'd like to hear about the upcoming libido workshop or the beginner's meditation series, uh, which will be focused on how to ground for uh, mindfulness for better sex uh, with your partner. And you are also welcome, obviously, to access my free breast cancer resources that are available on my website or via my social media links that uh, the grounding kit, the Tamoxifen Facts and Feelings Workbook, and the Self Love dance party playlist so you can get that sweat on get those toxins out and as always if you are enjoying the podcast please leave a review that really helps us find other people or other people find the podcast and get this information out there and uh what else what else oh follow me on social media i am at juniebewell.com mainly on instagram but i'm also on tiktok every once in a while and i'm also on facebook and i just appreciate you guys so so much and i am looking forward to talking to you again but as always i'm wishing you well take care guys and gals. <laughs>